Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast Online, and here at Little Creek to week three of our series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, can we just welcome our other campuses right now? If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we started a series. It's going to be seven weeks long, and we're teaching through the book of Revelation. Week one, we talked about in Revelation chapter one, where John on the Lord's Day, he was in, on the Bible says on the Lord's Day. How many you know it's important to be in church? On the Lord's Day, he has this revelation and he turns around and he sees Jesus. And Jesus begins to tell John, John's, by the way, he's on the Isle of Patmos. Why is he there? He's there for the preaching of the gospel. He's there. He's been banished under Caesar Domitian. He's been banished uh, because of his preaching of Christ. Interestingly enough, he's on an island. It's right outside of Asia Minor. It's one of the Greek islands. They couldn't contain the guy. They said, man, let's put him on a rock island. Maybe he'll stop preaching over there. Maybe we can shut this guy up over there. And he's writing, he's writing, it's interesting, not only to the seven churches of Asia Minor, but he's writing to the church throughout history. Now, I want to qualify a couple things up front. I want to, well, let me say tee up. Next week, we're going to be talking about the tribulation. And I'm trying to give you guys a little bit of insight. Next week, I want you to study and read chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. Just start with that. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The following week, the second half, three and a half years of the tribulation. Week six, I'm going to talk about the battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ. Week seven, I'm going to talk about the millennial reign of Christ, and I'm going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Today, I want to talk to you about the rapture and a little bit about heaven. The rapture, God's divine rescue plan. I'll never forget a number of years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, a gentleman in, my church, in this church, a gentleman in our church, a friend, he asked me, he said, man, Steve, oh, pastor, I want to bring you fishing. I said, man, I said, oh, that's funny. He goes, well, deep sea fishing. I'll go deep sea fishing maybe once or twice a year. I don't love it as much because, man, it's the waves out there. I like inshore kind of speckled trout, redfish. I said, well, let's go. We brought some guys in our church and had a nice boat. We went out and I checked the weather. I checked the weather right before I went out. I said, man, I said, John, I got to tell you, it's, it's, you know, the weather's a little, oh, don't worry about it, Pastor. God's with us. I said, okay. You know, that always makes me a little nervous. I mean, I know he's with us, but why did you add that right then? So anyway, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we got in the boat, and, it's, it's, and then I will say, on his behalf, it was a little bit in the distance, you know? So we get to this rig, you know, and we tie up. You've never been deep sea fishing, you know, uh, and so we're, we're fishing on the bottom for red snapper and grouper and whatnot. So, so we tie up, and, and man, I'm telling you, we're catching the snap. I mean, just like crazy, great red snap. So of course, I see in the distance this cloud and this developing, you know, system over there and some lightning in the distance. I mentioned, I said, John, you know, I mean, what do you think? Oh, Pastor, don't worry about it. Just come on, keep the hook in the water. Let's just, you know, and I mean, and we were just tearing them up. I had another guy, uh, he was just catching in the back. And so before you know it, as if you've ever been out in the Gulf, this thing's like on us. It's like, here it is. I'm like, John, man, what? He goes, Pastor, no. And I said, no, no, really, Pastor, nothing. Start the engine. We need to proceed away from the scene, you know? So, and now the lightning's kind of go, going everywhere and I'm like kind of freaking out a little bit. And, and so, and I said, John, you know, so we're, we're you know, going the way. I said, man, you, you know, can lightning hit a moving boat? Here's what he tells me. I said, Pastor, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. <laughs> Let me help you, John. It's not my time to go. I just want to help you. 
I didn't cuss, but I said, get this thing going. I'm serious. Get moving. So we're just flying, you know, you know, and so, and so, you know, and then all of a sudden we're about a mile from the shore, the marsh area, and the engines just stop. He goes, Pastor, you better pray. I said, I've been praying for a long time. Trust me. They just go, and, and we're still in the store. I mean, it's everywhere. He calls a friend. They were speck fishing, and, and so they came out and they hooked us all up, and they just and they towed us back. Man, I was so I got off. I was I, I kissed the dock. You know, I just it, it was it was it was a rescue. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to be rescued? Maybe it was a safety issue. Maybe it wasn't a safety issue. Maybe you're in a toxic relationship and you needed to be rescued. Maybe it was in a business situation. I don't know, but, but, but it always, it's always wonderful when you're in a precarious situation and there's a rescue that takes place. The doctrine, the biblical doctrine of the rapture is God's divine rescue plan. That's, that's what it is. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Revelations chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to teach you guys this morning about that. I think it goes without saying that we live in a world currently right now that is literally just coming off the chain. I mean, you look at whether it's economically or politically, look at the Middle East. I mean, the Middle East is on fire, all the stuff that's going on. I mean, it's just amazing what's happening. up. It's not letting up. By the way, again, Isaiah 60 speaks very clear to this. It says that the darkness is going to get darker and the light is going to get lighter. Persecution of Christians all around the world right now. I mean, just at just at untold numbers of people being martyred for their faith. Again, we talked a little bit about this last week. and I want to qualify up front. Regardless of what happens in our culture, I want to say three things. Number one, as believers in Jesus, we are always to live our lives with the spirit of faith. If you're coming to this church, you think, man, Pastor, man, this guy's teaching the book of Revelation, man. Are they going to talk about we're just going to go all, you know, get in the woods somewhere and hide out? No, 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 no. We don't believe in retreating. We believe the Bible says occupy till he comes. Uh, we believe in being aggressive and touching every sphere. How do we be salt and light? Every, in the political realm, the business realm, the academic realm, the sports and entertainment realm, the art, every sphere of society, the education. We need to, as believers, be everyone say salt and say light. We do not believe the scripture in any way indicates that we somehow need to retreat and we need to back up. We need to engage. So we are to have a spirit of faith. Now, I also want to suggest and qualify that no one knows when Christ is coming back. Could be today, could be a not tomorrow, could be a hundred years. We should live. Matter of fact, Mark th chapter 13, I just read yesterday, Jesus said, he doesn't know, the angels in heaven don't know, so some TV preacher surely doesn't know when Christ is coming back. Are you with me? I just thought I'd share that with you. Matter of fact, I think the day that we declare and set a date, I think it's that day God the Father says, I'm not coming back then. The reality is, is that we cannot know the day, but we need to live like Christ may be coming back today. Isn't that right? At the same time, we need a plan. Go to college and start businesses and start. It could be a hundred years. We just need to be ready. Everyone say ready. We just need to be ready. We need to be filled with the spirit. We need to be on fire for God. I believe the scripture, and I'm going to teach today that the scripture, God's divine rescue plan, is there's a biblical doctrine of the rapture. The rapture, listen to me closely, the rapture happens moments before the beginning of what's called the seven-year tribulation, all right? At the end of the seven-year tribulation, there is the return of Christ. I'm gonna show you a graph in just a minute. Now, I wanna qualify up front a couple of things. 
I, I believe in what's called, and I think scripture bears this out, in a pre-tribulation rapture. A lot of godly men and women would subscribe to this thought. Again, what does that mean? We believe the scripture teaches that prior to the tribulation, there is a rapture of the church, the believers in Christ. Then there's the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. At the end of the seven-year tribulation is the battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ. The rapture and the return of Christ are not the same event. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Now, one last qualification. There are godly men and women who would have differing views on that. Some believe in what's called a mid-tribulation rapture, that it's halfway during the tribulation that we're raptured. Some believe, they don't believe in a rapture in the sense they believe that we're just kind of caught up as Christ comes back and then he returns to earth with us. Okay, the basis of fellowship in our church is not based upon whether or not you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. It's based upon whether or not you're a believer in Jesus. Are y'all with me? Because at our best, we're prognosticating. We're looking into the future. We're interpreting scripture. These are future events. The question is, are you saved? Do you know Christ? Has the blood of Jesus washed you of your sins? And are you ready to go to heaven whenever that is, all right? Nobody ultimately is guaranteed a tomorrow. Now, having said that, look at your notes if you would. I'm gonna have this graph in there for the next, so, so this is week three. I'm gonna do week four, five, six, and seven. So there's four more weeks. I'm teaching, all right? Four more weeks in the book of Revelation. We're gonna go as far as we can. I've got it marked out where we're gonna get pretty much through the whole book. So, so where are we currently? And this is gonna outline where we're going in our next four talks. We are currently living in the church age. We're right here. We're, we're living in the church age. So I believe, and you'll see in just a moment, according to scripture, I believe that there's a rapture that will happen where Christ will come to the clouds. He does not return all the way to earth in this moment and he catches the church away, I'll show you three to four different places in scripture that they have a rapture, which marks then the beginning of the tribulation period. There's now remember this, the, the tribulation, the antichrist emerges, all right? But for the first three and a half years, I'm gonna teach you about this next week. The first three and a half years, he deceives the world, and the Bible calls him a man of peace. So it doesn't come with a pitchfork, he comes, with, he comes as a man of peace. But at the three and a half year mark, Jerusalem, it's really interesting, the Antichrist, I'm gonna show you next week that the Antichrist actually gets behind Israel and the rebuilding of the temple for the third time. The problem is at the building dedication of the temple, the Antichrist walks into the temple and he declares himself to be God. That's called the abomination of desolation. By the way, I taught you guys that last year in the book of Daniel, if you were here. That's what's called. So at that moment, his mask comes off and the whole world sees that he's the deceiver. That's the Antichrist. The second half of the tribulation, which will be my, my fifth week message, it talks about now the wrath of God is poured out. The seals, the bowls, and the judgments. I'll explain all of that there. At the end of the tribulation, this is just seven years. Now the church has been raptured out of there at that point. At the end of the seven years, two things happen. The battle of Armageddon, and then the second coming of Christ. Here, Christ doesn't come to the clouds to catch up his church. Here he returns all the way to earth. What does he do? He comes and he rules in Jerusalem for a thousand year reign of Christ. My, my sixth or seventh message, I would talk about the great white throne judgment and then the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, that, is that a helpful graph for you guys? Is that helpful? Three people, great. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, have, that, I'm gonna have that in there for you every week. Somebody told me in my first service I was talking too fast, so I'm gonna talk really slow. 
And uh, so, so the question is, where in the book of Revelation is the rapture mentioned? Where? I'm going to give you two places. Revelation chapter 3. I believe most Bible scholars would agree that this is a picture of the rapture. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Now, I taught this scripture last week. John, remember, on, the Bible says on the Lord's day, all right, which is Sunday. This is on the Isle of Patmos, Revelation chapter 1. He turns around, he hears a voice by him, and it's Jesus talking to John, and he says, John, write these things down. Last week's message, John's message was chapter 2 and 3, to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. The last church he addressed was this church. I'm going to re re retouch it right here, the church at Philadelphia, but here's what he says. And by the way, the messages John had to the seven churches of Asia Minor are messages that apply to the church universal throughout history. All right? It applies to us today. Here's what he says. Revelations 3.10. Jesus is telling John, John, tell the church this. Because you have kept my command to persevere, you've not given up the faith, I also will keep you, watch this, from the hour of trial which shall come upon the earth to test. Everyone say test. To test those who dwell on the earth. Because of their faithfulness, Christians in Philippi and those throughout church history, those that are faithful to Christ, the Bible says, watch this, the Bible says that Jesus keeps them, that there's coming on the earth, I'm going to explain in a moment, this severe trial, this severe tribulation. But if you remain faithful to Christ, the Bible says that God is going to somehow keep us from the impact of that. I want to mention a scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Remember this, theologically, you never build a doctrine off of one scripture. That's why I'm going to have multiple scriptures of why I believe where the doctrine of the rapture comes from. Okay, doctrine is just a Latin word for didache, teaching. That's all it means. It's the teaching. All right, watch what this says. I'm answering the question, what is the rapture? The rapture is a catching away of the church prior to the tribulation. During the second half of the tribulation, the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. I'm going to show you in just a moment. Look what Paul says here. For God did not appoint, he's talking to believers, the church at Thessalonica, for God did not appoint us to what? Say it, wrath. So God did not appoint you, God does not want us experiencing his wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now what, what, is, what does that mean? I believe the purpose of the rapture is to snatch the church from the world prior to the judgment of God and the wrath of God that's going to be poured out during the tribulation. In essence, the doctrine of the rapture is a, is a doctrine, it's a teaching of comfort. It was a teaching to comfort us. Now, I want to say this. You guys are a smart church, and I've had a lot of good questions that people, they knew I was going to be doing the book of Revelation. And so here is one of the best questions that people could answer or could ask, and I'll attempt to give the answer. All right, here, here it is. Pastor Steve, you just told us a couple weeks ago that there are Christians around the world that are being martyred for their faith. Their heads are being cut off. We saw the Coptic Christians, that's Coptic Christians, all right? We saw that on, on, on the news where they were marched on a beach and ISIS was cutting their head. I mean, you can't fabricate all those videos. We saw, even if you don't believe that, it's historical fact uh, it, it, uh, throughout the world, there, there are people being martyred for the faith. So here's the question. How can you say that the church is going to be raptured before the great tribulation when people are being martyred and killed for their faith? Question. 
aren't they living through the tribulation? Does that make sense? Do you ask the question? Here would be my answer to that. When people are martyred for their faith, just like the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, by the way. If you read Acts chapter 7, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. By the way, guess who killed him? Saul, who later became St. Paul. The Bible says a young man, he threw rocks. They threw rocks. They martyred him. All right, they killed him. The second Christian martyr, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 11, was James. First, first was Stephen, and then James. He was murdered for his faith. He was martyred for his faith. By the way, my mom told, my name is Stephen James. She named me after the first two martyrs. That's not cool. <laughs> let, let it not be a fulfilled prophecy in this church service. But anyway, so, so here's the point. Listen to me closely. When somebody is martyred for their faith, that's not the wrath of God. That's the judgment of man inspired by demons. Do you understand that? That's not God's wrath. That's, if you're persecuted for your faith, that's not the wrath of God. That's the judgment of man inspired by demonic spirits. That is totally different than, because that is, that is, that is, a, that is a selected strike, a, a strategic thing from the enemy to strike people there. The wrath of God is holistic. It's across the board and nobody escapes it. Does that make sense? So there is a difference between the wrath of God and the judgment of man. I believe the Bible says that when the wrath of God is poured out, the church is not here. Okay, so that, that, that's an important point there. Pastor, where else in the book of Revelations do you see it? Now, Revelation chapter four, verse one. Again, John is on the Isle of Patmos. It's on the Lord's Day on Sunday. He hears a voice behind him. He turns around, he sees Jesus. And Jesus tells him, John, write these things down. I want to, I want to say something. The book of Revelation is divided into three parts. Revelation 1, John, write down what has happened, past tense. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, John, write down what's happening right now. Revelation chapter 4. Interesting. Revelation chapter 4, right here I'm about to read. The church, the word church is mentioned 19 times in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's not mentioned one time after chapter 4. Why is that? After chapter 4, verse 1. Why is that? Because I believe the church has been raptured. Does that make sense? Watch this picture. After these things, John said, I looked and behold a door. So he's caught up to heaven. It's a picture of the rapture. And a door standing in heaven. And the first voice, this is going to be important. There's a voice, whenever you see the rapture in the Bible, there's a voice, which I heard was like a what? Say it, a trumpet. That's going to be important. A voice, a trumpet speaking to me saying, uh, come up here, catching away, and I will show you the things which must take place first. So John is in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he is experiencing this rapture experience. All right, now, now let me build that out a little bit. Every place you see in the Bible, remember, you can't build a doctrine off of one verse. I'm going to show you in Thessalonians. I'm going to show you in Corinthians. There's a voice, there's a trumpet, and there's an angel. I believe that John is depicting a clear picture of the rapture. Pastor, okay, show me where the rapture is in other places in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the classic verse, the strongest verse, in my opinion, of showing the rapture experience, all right? I know what some of you guys are thinking, man, Pastor, whew, I just got saved. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. This is deep. Just hang on. Just hang on. This isn't important because it's to encourage you. Again, if you, whether or not you believe in the rapture doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell. 
It's your faith in Christ, all right? But I think it's an important teaching to understand the character of God related to his people. Watch this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the what? Say it. The trumpet of God. Watch the similarities of this. Everything I show you, the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Pastor, what is he talking about? I'm going to explain it in a moment. Next verse. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. What does it mean that we who are alive? There are some people living on the earth that will never die by way of the grave. They will be raptured. Well, who are those people? Those are the generation of people that are believers that are alive when Christ comes, when he comes to rapture his church, all right? Now watch this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Everyone say caught up. Okay, this is the Greek word where we get rapture from. I'm going to explain that in a moment. They'll be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Why I believe there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ is Jesus comes to the earth in the return of Christ. But in the rapture, he comes in the clouds and we meet him in the clouds, the church, all right? This is very important. And it says, we meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. All right, so what am I proposing to you? I believe the scripture teaches that there is an event that's coming, it hasn't happened yet, where the believers in Christ, true believers, people that genuinely love Christ, that are believers, that Christ is gonna come, there's gonna be a trumpet, there's gonna be a voice, there's gonna be a sound. And he's gonna meet us in the air. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, he will meet, we will meet the Lord in the what? Say it, the air. He doesn't come all the way back. This is not the return of Christ. This is the rapture seven years prior to the return of Christ. Where do we get the word rapture from? Okay, the word caught up is the Greek word harpazo, harpazo. Now, let me explain it this way. There have been many languages that the, so the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew. The New Testament primarily was written in Greek. Many languages, the Bible's been translated into many languages, English, Spanish, okay. But the first language that the Bible was translated into, the first language, does anybody know? Latin. The Greek word caught up, caught up, which means to snatch up suddenly, the Latin translators translated that Greek word harpazo, their Latin word is the word rap, R-A-P-T. That's where you get rapture. It's a noun, okay? It's an event, all right? It's not an action, it's an event. This event happens, all right? So, 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 the, so the Latin translators, the word harpazo, they wrote rapture. It's actually R-A-P-T, all right? And what it means is to snatch away suddenly to be caught up. So the word rapture actually isn't in the Bible. It's the Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo. Does that make sense? Because I've had people say, well, you know, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. You're right. But harpazo is, and that means to be caught up. Here's what it literally means, both the words, to seize, to snatch away, to take suddenly. So pastor, are you telling me that there is a moment of history, there's a moment coming when believers in Jesus are going to be going about their day and, 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 and they're going to be raptured. What if a Christian is driving an airplane? 
If you're not a Christian, that's not a good flight to take. I just say that. So, so by the way, I know a lot of you guys uh, read Tim LaHaye books, and I think he wrote 65 million books, 65 million copies of his books. I think it was 17 books. And so millions and millions of copies of those 17 books, three movies. And uh, people have asked, you know, do you believe that's biblical? First of all, he wrote it from a fictional standpoint, but it was nonfiction in its undertones. It was all about the return of Christ. And I do believe there's a lot of truth to it. And because I do believe the Bible's clear that there's going to be people, talks about two people in a field, one taken, the other one not. So, so watch, let's catch the scene here for a moment. So there are airplane pilots, somebody's going to be raptured, somebody may not. Let's just hope if it's the, co, the co-pilot. I mean, they just, we just, who knows what's going to happen? There's going to be a world crisis that's going to hit. All right, now watch this. Watch the stage that gets set. So you have a world crisis. Everybody's going, what has happened? Oh my gosh, what is, this is crazy. At that moment, at that moment, the Antichrist steps onto the scene, somebody to bring peace to the calm. A piece to the to the to the to the crisis. He is a political leader. He has tremendous skills of diplomacy, and he has the ability. He has the ability to quiet the nations for three and a half years. He's an antichrist. All right, and so you can kind of begin to see how the stage gets set with this rapture event. And by the way, that's not this. When I talk about in First Thessalonians, you know, this is not something that's never happened before biblically or historically. There's been rapture events throughout the Bible. Pastor, are you serious? Yeah, remember Enoch? Do y'all remember Enoch? Well, what happened with Enoch? Here it is, Genesis chapter five. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, all right? And Enoch walked with God. By the way, let me qualify. Do you know after the flood, which was one chapter later, said, man, Pastor, people lived like 900 years in the Bible before the flood. After the flood, God cut their life to 120 years. That's what the Bible says, all right? So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch, here it is, here's a rapture, walked with God, and he was what? Not, and he was not, God took him. So Enoch's walking with God. He's enjoying his relationship with God, and God goes, I want you up here with me. So he never went by way of the grave. Does that make sense? He never died. So I'm not talking about something that's unprecedented. I'm talking about something that has actual biblical precedence, something that's already happened. Well, let me give you another example. You remember one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament? His name was Elijah. Elijah. Matter of fact, this summer, I went to Israel again, and I had a wonderful Messianic Jewish guide, and, and we went down to a new part of the Jordan River that had never been opened up about two years ago. It opened up. It was right, it, literally right where you can see Jordan. It actually was part of the Transjordan region for years, and the Jordan, re- and so it's just opened up the last two years. And so we went down to the actual place where this event happened. And it was really cool, we were reading the Bible, man, this is awesome, right here. So what happens? A rapture happens, right here. Then it happened, this is Elijah, all right? Then it happened as they continued on the talk, Elijah was talking to his protege, Elisha, all right? As they continued on a talk, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up snatched away. He's raptured. He went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So I'm not talking about something that's never, that doesn't have biblical precedence. I'm talking about something that's happened before. Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Let me give you, who was one of the greatest people in all of scripture that was raptured? Does anybody know? Jesus. 
on the Mount of Olives, Acts chapter one. The Bible says the very last sermon that Jesus ever preached, after he was crucified, was buried, rose again, and he appeared for 40 days to his disciples. Actually, 500 people, Corinthians says, Paul says. So Acts chapter one, very important. The Bible says after he finished saying these things, watch this, he ascended up to the Father. What was that? That is a, everybody say it, that is a rapture. He, he, he was raptured up to heaven. By the way, can I tell you a little bit, a little bit about week six? Jesus was translated, or he was, he, was, he was ascended up to the Father on the Mount of Olives. Does anybody know where he, when he returns? I'm talking about the second coming of Christ, not the rapture, but after the tribulation. Does anybody know where he returns? On the Mount of Olives. As a matter of fact, what will happen is the Valley of Jezreel in Israel, it's a great valley, it goes all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River. There'll be 200, this is going to happen, 200 million armies strong coming against Israel. And they're going to wipe Israel off the map. And right before that happens, Jesus returns. The Bible says, I'm going to show you in week six, that he actually splits the Mount of Olives in two. And with the breath of his mouth, all 200 of the army are defeated. At that point, he sets up his throne in, uh, in his earthly throne in Jerusalem and rules for a thousand years in the millennial reign of Christ. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying that the rapture is not something that never happened before. It's happened throughout scripture. Enoch was raptured. Elisha, uh, Elijah was raptured. And even Jesus ascended. Let me give you another scripture. There's a lot of confusion about what does it mean that our bodies are resurrected and the dead in Christ arise? What, what does that mean, Pastor? I want to unpack this. Here it is. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, there's going to be some people that don't go by way of the grave. Those are people that are on the earth during the rapture that are believers who, who are caught up and meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. All right, now watch this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Watch this next verse. In a moment, just like that. And the twinkling of an eye, at the last what? Say it. Trumpet. There it is again. There's a voice. There's a trumpet. It's all throughout scripture when it relates to this event. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. What does that mean? I'll explain it in a second. And we shall, and we shall all be changed. Okay. When we die, I'll give you the graph. This will help you better. Okay, can you put my graph up? When we die, my other graph about the... What happened? Okay, here it is. Cool, thanks. What happens to a Christian at death? What happens? When we die, our soul immediately goes to where? Say it. Heaven. There's not an intermediate holding chamber. I want everybody to know that. We immediately go to heaven. But our body goes into the ground. Whether you're cremated or not, you still go back to the dust. All right? because there's decomposing of your skeletal remains, but your body. So your soul and your body are separated. At the rapture, where Paul talks about our bodies are resurrected, this happens at the rapture. All right, this is really cool. Our, the people that have died, the people that have died in Christ are with Jesus right now. When, they re, when Christ returns, the bodies are resurrected. All the dead believers, their bodies are resurrected and rejoined with their soul at the rapture. That, that's really interesting. Why is that? Remember 
we get, don't miss this, resurrected bodies. Say, pastor, this is like deep. Hang on. Do you remember Jesus after he was resurrected? He had a what? A body. He wasn't dangling around like a spirit. He had a body. Don't you remember that? Now he could walk through the wall because he had a resurrected body, but Thomas could still touch his hand. Are y'all with me? You get a resurrected body, a perfect resurrected body. That's amazing. No more chunky rolls. And I'm not talking about sushi. Okay, that's crunchy. I'm sorry. I'm talking about your body. There's no more 90-minute workouts. I'm talking about you get a resurrected body. How many are excited about that? Well, pastor, does that mean I'll never have to do CrossFit again? CrossFit goes to hell at that point. I just want to let you know, forever banished from God. For, 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 for eternity, all right. Thought I'd share that. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't believe I, I, I'm, I'm kind of immature still. So anyway, so, so by the way, I'm gonna teach you on week five, the judgment seat of Christ. We don't ever, the Christians will never stand before the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment for unbelievers. We are judged during the tribulation in heaven at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. What are we judged for? Not whether or not we make heaven. That's the blood of Christ, our faith in Christ. But we are judged and we will be judged for what we did for Christ in the here and now. Are you with me? Again, that's week five. All right, having said that, having said that, Revelation chapter four, verse one, let's go back to that just for a moment. John said, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place. All right, let me conclude and then I'm gonna talk five minutes about heaven and then I'm gonna let you guys go. Thus we see the rapture brings a close to the church age. I want everybody to hear me, very important. Since the church will be raptured in with Christ in heaven during the tribulation, we will see next week that when we are raptured and brought to, to heaven, it begins the seven-year tri seven tribulation people. I do want to say this. There are godly men and women. Some people believe that the rapture act. Can you pull my first graph back up, if you would, my first one? Some people believe. Some people. So I, this is called a pre, everybody say pre-tribulation rapture. Say that. So I believe, the scripture teaches, that it's pre-tribulation. Some people believe that the rapture happens right here at the midway mark because the wrath of God really doesn't get poured out until the second third, the, I mean the second half of it. And then some people believe that they, everybody as a believer has to believe in the return of Christ. Everybody, Jesus is coming again. But not everybody believes where this rapture is. Some people believe that we're kind of raptured up, we meet the Lord, then we come back. I'll explain that on, on week five as well. The bottom line is this. I believe in scripture, the rapture is an event that happens immediately prior to the tribulation where the church meets the Lord in, in the air and we're with him for eternity, all right? Thus, not missing persecution, but missing the wrath of God. I do not believe that the children of God are on the earth when the wrath of God is poured out, okay? Having said that, I wanna conclude with this. John is there and he has this vision of heaven and he has this picture of heaven and it's a glory. I don't want anybody to miss these next five minutes what I'm about to say. He sees the glories of heaven. The glories of heaven. Revelation chapter four, verse three, so powerful. 
And he, John, listen, John is now writing this down of the things, of the things that he's seen. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne and an appearance like, like an emerald. There was this experience. John peers into heaven. Oh my gosh, heaven is amazing. He's overwhelmed. He gets a picture of heaven for eternity. What he sees is worship. Worship. And he's overwhelmed. You know, heaven is an amazing place. Do you know the goal of history, ultimately, the consummation of history? It's when the, the creation is worshiping the creator. It's interesting, I have people that will tell me, say, Pastor, I don't know what's going on, man, but I come in during the singing part of the message and, or the singing part of the service, and I don't know why I just start crying. And I don't know what's going on. And I'm going to tell you what's happening. Listen to me closely. Jesus' presence is touching you. Do you know the difference between heaven and now? It's heaven is a place where Jesus is and there's no sin. But earth is a place where Jesus is, but there's still sin. But you can experience the presence of Jesus right now. Christ lives in our hearts. The Bible calls, says we're a temple. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why during the worship part, and I have people say, you know, I, I go to that church. I like the talk. He gives a pretty good talk, good lecture. Sir, I'm not lecturing you. I'm opening the Bible and teaching. And furthermore, the singing part is not, that's a little appetizer. That's a spinach dip before the meal. No, 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 no. The singing is not the spinach dip. The singing is the meal. We are feasting on Christ. The word is the meal. The singing's the meal. The whole thing's the meal. Are you with me? The whole thing. Pastor, I'm uncomfortable with the singing part. I go to that church and there's some neighbors in my neighborhood that go there and I don't want them to see me singing. They'll see you singing in a bar. Why are you embarrassed about that? You're not embarrassed about this. What's the difference? At least here, you're not drunk. You get to sing to Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. We're singing to Christ. We're worshiping Christ. We're, we're lifting. Now, let me take this last thing and then we'll close. Listen to me closely. I never understood this until this week and I saw it in the Bible. I'm going to show you right here. The only place where heaven and earth come very close to touching is during worship. I've had people say, Pastor, I'm just telling you, man, I sense God's presence was here. It was so strong. It was. Because worship is happening right now even as I speak in heaven. When we worship, we actually step into a heavenly worship service that's happening. While we're on earth, prove it, pastor. It's in the Bible. Here it is. That's, what, that's why worship's so powerful. That's why God wants to touch you during the worship part, the singing part. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, though it had been slain. Watch this. And then I looked, and I heard the voice. I'm going to ask the band to come. I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. Things are happening. John's seeing this picture. Watch what he sees. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Watch this next verse. And every creature, every creature which is in heaven, sees in heaven. And on what? Say it, earth. John sees in both dimensions. In heaven, there's worship. And on earth, and under the earth, do you know every single creature that's every human being, every single person, do you know that they will bow their knee to Jesus? 
Now, they get an opportunity to bow their knee to Christ voluntarily while they live on the earth. And I'm going to teach you in week six of the great white throne judgment, everyone will bow their knee to Jesus. Doesn't mean that everybody's going to live in eternity with Christ. I'm sorry, it's not in the Bible. The Bible says all of earth and all of heaven, they enter into this worship. Not only that, but even the sea and the creatures therein. Why is that? Do you remember when Jesus one time, they tried to they get him to stop the, the kids to worship? And Jesus said, hey, hey, don't you dare stop them. If they don't worship me, even the rocks will cry out. Even the rocks will cry out. And I heard saying blessing. Everyone say blessing. Blessing and honor. Look at this next verse. And glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the lamb forever. Everybody say blessing, say glory, say power. And the angels and all the, they were singing, holy, holy. That's why, listen to me, friends, listen to me as your pastor. Please don't miss the singing part of the service. It's so powerful. We are, it is, it is the place where we actually have an opportunity. I'm not saying we go to heaven, but I'm saying Heaven gets real close to earth because we actually enter into an activity that's happening 24-7 in heaven. And the Bible says the heaven that we join in a chorus, the presence of God is here. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I've had people, listen to me, I've heard of people being healed during worship, spiritually healed, physically healed, emotionally healed. I've seen depression lifted off of people's lives. I've seen, I, I'm telling you, Listen to me, look, up, look right here. I've seen miracles happen during the worship time. I'm gonna let you go right at 12.30, right on time. We got about four and a half minutes. But I asked Ashley and our team to come. This is what's happening. This song is actually written right out of Revelations chapter four and five. I'm gonna ask just for the next two or three minutes, we're gonna enter into this, and then I'm gonna close and we'll pray. I'm telling you, this is, this is happening right now in heaven, and we get to, we get to join in on this.
ask everybody to bow their heads right now. If you do not know Christ, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, the first step to worship this is what we're going to be doing for eternity is surrender. Everyone say surrender. When we surrender our hearts to Christ, we ask Jesus to come into our lives, to forgive us of our sins. If you're not a Christian, if you've never given your heart to Christ, you're not sure if your sins have been forgiven, you're not sure if you're ready to stand before God, this is an opportunity. In just a moment, the count of three at all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast, our online campus, here at Little Creek, I'm gonna ask for a show of hands, say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. I can't save you, our church can't save you, a denomination can't, Jesus saves. The Bible says, Who, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Just a moment, say, Pastor, pray, I need Christ. If that's you, you're not sure about your relationship with God, Pastor, pray, I need Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to get the count three. Just lift your hand up high so I can see it all over this place. Every one of our campuses, one, two, three. Quickly hold it up high so I can see it. 